and uh, welcome back. Welcome to the continuation of the series, Windows of Heaven. My name's Phil Strong here, and welcome to Zion. Welcome to this message today, which is called Do Not Cheat God. And this comes from Malachi chapter 3, and I want to get into that. But before I do, I just want to perhaps set you up, because I don't want you to turn the video off too quickly, and I don't want you to miss what God's got for us today. And, and, and here's the introduction, uh, the, the, the heart behind this message, the heart behind, I believe, the scripture that we're going to get into today, or the scriptures, is found in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, the second letter. And I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7. Paul writes to the church who he loves. He says this, Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us. I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Let's pray. Lord, today we choose to humble ourselves before your word, the Holy Scriptures, and we ask that by your Holy Spirit you would minister to us and you would help us so that we might excel in this gracious act of giving. Lord, we look to the scriptures as our example and our guide, and we pray today that your Holy Spirit would bring light to what's shared today in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, I, I want to start with a warning uh, because you can tell by the title that we're going to uh, jump into Malachi chapter 3 and, and unpack a little bit of what's happening. But, but more importantly, not to focus on the negative, but to focus on the positive. And that's my aim today. That's certainly my challenge. But I want to start with a warning. And the warning is this, because whenever, uh, well, let's, let's say it this way. Uh, my background is finance. My background is money. And I've been talking to people about money for a very long time. And uh, so often I get, I get invited into churches to preach and speak about money. And I can tell you right now that it's probably the hardest topic to get through to people because they put their walls up. They resist the truth. They get defensive and they say, you shouldn't be talking about money from the pulpit. You certainly shouldn't be promoting tithing because that's Old Testament. And uh, I, before I say what's right and wrong, I want to give you this warning. The devil would come to divide you away from God's truth. And so you need to have your radar up. You need to have your senses going, uh, like your spidey senses tingling away there. So you know the difference between what the devil's trying to do and what the Spirit of God is trying to do. And here's the, here's the clincher for you. If you feel condemnation or you feel unworthy, I can promise you now that's not the Holy Spirit. It's the accuser that is coming to bring you down. Here's another sign. If you feel divided or destroyed or disconnected from the body of Christ, of which I'm a part, if you're feeling divided from me or drawn away from me, then that's also a sign the devil is at work and he's messing with your mind. He's firing those arrows at you to divide you away, to break down the body of Christ. Because nothing in the scripture is given to us to pull us apart, it's given to unite us. So if you're sensing condemnation, judgment, fear, or division, then I can assure you that the enemy of our soul, the liar, the accuser, the devil, he's come to attack you. On the contrary, if you're feeling strengthened, if you feel there is hope, if you feel convicted that what you're doing is not what God is saying, 
that's the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit comes to strengthen us. But sometimes he does that through conviction to reveal the difference between the way we live and the way God's asked us to live. And that conviction is not to condemn us, but it's to restore us to God's truth. So you've got to get your spidey senses on today because I'm sure when I start speaking about money, the devil's going to come and try and shut you down. He's trying to try cut you off and he's trying to keep you away from what God has got for you today. And there's some amazing things that we're going to see in the scripture today. But there's no point us doing that if you're going to allow the devil to put walls up and keep you from God's truth. So my hope and my prayer is that, that today God would speak to you in a powerful way uh, through conviction and through truth and through bringing hope to you because God has so much more for you. Uh, and I'm excited about that. So come on, let's, let's work with God on this today. As I uh, may have indicated or not, or not uh, this is the second message. I've got three in this series. Uh, it's part of a bigger series. Uh, I only have responsibility for three messages. Uh, and uh, so the first message I've shared was about the goodness of God. And I'd encourage you to watch that um, because the way that we understand God, the way we get to know God is the way that God is revealed in our lives. And I'd hate for you to have a wrong picture of God and then miss the point of the scripture that God's uh, led us into. The second message today is called Do Not Cheat God. And it's a quote from Malachi chapter 3, and I want to bring us to that shortly. And finally, the third message is called Abundance Beyond Imagination. And actually, I thought that was just going to be my only message. Um, and I can't wait to get to it because there's uh, so much in the scriptures that I, I think reveal the extravagant nature of God that he's inviting us into. And uh, uh, I don't want to tease you too much more, but that's going to be a cracker. So watch out for that as well. But let's have a look at today, uh, because I, I believe God would certainly have an expectation that we would honor him in our lives in every way. The title of this passage, Do Not Cheat God, uh, comes from Malachi chapter 3, and we're going to look at that now. And uh, I want to recap that, and I want to go back to verse 6. Uh, and I did a little bit of this last week in the message. I am the Lord, says God, and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees, and you have failed to obey them. Now return to me, says God, and I will return to you. But how, you ask, how can we return when we've never gone away? Should people cheat God, he responds? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When do we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. That's Malachi chapter 3 verse 8. You have cheated me and the tithes and offerings due to me. Now that's a hard word. God is bringing conviction right now to some people, and I just pray that the grace of God lifts you up and encourages you and strengthens you to hear what God would say to you today, because I've got some great stuff to share with you. So God has this expectation. You'll see this in your worksheet. So make sure you grab the worksheet that's... Uh, the link is in the description on YouTube. Uh, it's on our website. Make sure you download this. Have it on a tablet or uh, print it out if, you're, if you've got, I'm, I've got it here so I can keep an eye on it. But certainly God has this expectation that we would honor him in every aspect of our lives. And this includes money. Money is one of those things that just gets a hold of our heart and uh, diverts us away from God's truth. So you might say, hey, I'm happy to be generous with my time. I'm happy to be generous with my 
my car and drive people around and, and look after. I'm happy to be generous with my pantry and I'm going to make meals for people. But don't you tell me to be generous with my money. And the Lord says, well, actually, I want you to be generous with all aspects of your lives. A couple of passages of scripture references you can write these down. Matthew chapter 6, well-known passage. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Let me read this to you because I love having the scriptures read out aloud. Jesus says this, Matthew 6, 31. Don't worry about things, meaning the worries of life, saying what will eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. What's Jesus saying? Keep him first. Keep the priority of God's ordinances and the statutes, his decrees and his disciplines for living. Keep them as your highest priority. Preserve them and God will take care of things. I want to drag you across here uh, to drag the page across, I should say, <laughs> to Matthew chapter, Mark chapter 10. Again, a commonly referred to passage. It's the, it's the encounter with what's called the rich young ruler. So for those of you taking notes, it's Mark chapter 10, and the reference is verse 17 to verse 22. As Jesus was starting out of his way to Jerusalem, a man came running to him, knelt down and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your mother and father. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Here's Jesus revealed in all his beauty. What a glorious, glorious revelation. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Jesus feels genuine love for you. Jesus looks at you and he says, There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Did this, the man's face fell and he went away, for he had a great many possessions. What am I trying to say here? Look, God truly wants to know that our heart is dedicated to him. Because if there's something else that takes number one place in our heart, then he's not really the king of our heart, is he? A.W. Tozer says this, either God is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Uh, that's a pretty harsh statement. But what Jesus wants you to know is he needs first place in your life. And if there's anything that's going to take first place, then that's how you cheat God. Because you cheat God when you don't give him your best. You cheat God when you're not willing to give him first place in your heart. And this is the point of our message today. I want to give you some examples of, of how we might do that. And uh, on your worksheet there, I want you to look at these stories, the, the, the story of Abel. That's found in Genesis chapter 4 when Abel brought a choice offering before the Lord. I want you to look at Genesis 14 where Abraham, or he was known as Abraham then, and Melchizedek came to visit him. And Abraham gave him a tithe, a tenth of all the plunder that he had taken from the battle. 
And finally, I want you to look at the believers, the church, the believers in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. On your worksheet, I've made room there for you to stop and have a chat with the people that you're with and discuss what do you notice in these stories. The scriptures are referenced on the worksheet. What do you notice in the stories and what might this mean for you? Now you're welcome to pause the video now and have that conversation. Or you might want to wait till the end of the video and have the conversation then in a, in a bit of a longer time frame. One of the most commonly asked questions with regards to the reference to this passage and the instructions that the church gives around tithing is, should we tithe? Tithe yes or no? And it's a hotly debated topic and it's a poorly understood topic. And uh, I'm not confessing to have all the answers, but I, I must confess to having a long journey on the topic and I feel the Lord has layered revelation and truth as he's called me into different places of sacrifice and uh, perhaps what I'm going to say may not fix it for you uh, but certainly uh, it's my obligation to share with you what I believe the scriptures say. The tithe is a biblical principle that was established before the law. Abraham in Genesis 14 gave a tithe. He gave a tenth of all the plunder to Melchizedek, the high priest. Moses taught the people to bring tithes and offerings uh, many different ways. And there's, a, there's, a, there's an account of all these different offerings that they were to bring. The people would bring them to the temple as an offering before God. Malachi, we read, God says, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. And then in the New Testament, we see that the, the law is fully completed in Jesus Christ. And, and some would say that there is no need to tithe because we're now not under the law, we're under the grace. And, and, and that's true. That is true. So I would say to you that the tithe is biblical. You've got to decide whether it's applicable. Biblical or apl applicable? Biblical or applicable? But the, the, the truth is... Friends, that what you're going to see now is that the Bible teaches that we're to be generous in all things. And in fact, what the Bible does teach us is that Christ gave his all for us in order that we would have eternal life with him. Therefore, anything we have is his and therefore all of what we have belongs to him. I believe that we should be giving the first and the best of what we have to God as a thanks offering, as a sacrifice to say, God, it came from you. It will go back to you. I take nothing with me when I die. And therefore, I choose to give you the very best. I give you the first. And, and to be honest with you, in my understanding, the tenth, the tithe, 10% is just the start. It's just the beginning. It's certainly not the end goal. God would desire that you'd be generous. And I'm going to point to that shortly and help you with some understanding around that. God gave everything to you. Surely you can give a portion back to him as an offering. Now, now, what do you give a tithe in? Um, I would say anything and everything that you receive comes from God. Therefore, you should consider 
tithing or giving an offering as a proportion of what God has blessed you with. So the sale of things, income, gifts, refunds, um, surprise gifts, all these things. Uh, Think about how you might give an offering of those to God as a thanks offering to him who gives everything that you have. That's challenging. And uh, I just pray that the Holy Spirit speaks to you about that because I've shared enough. And what I want to move on to now is I want to help you to learn how to give well and how to live generously. So let's look at the second half of this message and how to give well and how to live generously. There's a great passage of scripture that I want to point you to now, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, right at the very beginning of that chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 1, we're going to read it now. It's a fantastic instruction on how to prepare ourselves to give well. And because I know you want to be obedient to God, I know you don't want to cheat God, I know you want to live under the blessing of the covenant that God has for us, and I'm going to talk about the abundant, extravagant blessing beyond your imagination. I'm going to talk about that in the next message. But for today, I just want to teach you how to give well. And uh, Paul, in fact, shows us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. So let's have a look at that now. Paul writes this to us. Now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of the money you've earned. Don't wait until I get there to try and collect it all. When I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messages. And if it seems appropriate for me, they can go along and travel with me. Now on your worksheet, what you're going to notice is four key things there about how you would implement Paul's instructions from this passage on generosity. So how do you give well? Well, the first thing Paul talks about is having a pattern. You've got to have a pattern to make a discipline. Those things that you repeat become patterns, they become disciplines that you live your life by so that it doesn't matter whether you have little or whether you have much, you've got the pattern, you've got the discipline, you just give because God has blessed you. So you should have a pattern, follow the same procedure, do it every week. This is the idea of a pattern uh, that God would say, give regularly. Make it a discipline and do it often. The second thing, it it should be planned. So put aside a portion that you've earned. Think about what you're going to give. And I'm going to talk about that uh, a little bit more specifically in a minute. But you should think about how to give. And what am I going to determine in my heart to give? Paul writes in a different passage, each one should determine in his heart how he would like to give and contribute to what God's work is achieving. So be planned. He also says they put aside a portion of the money you've received. So as much as God would say, well, everything I gave you comes from me, make sure you don't feel like you own it. He's only asking you to give a portion of it. So what is the portion of your income that you would be giving to the church? And finally, keep it to yourself. You don't need to tell everyone about it. Make it private. You know, there's one thing we should be very, very careful of, and that is um, being too overt with what we're doing. And and we also know that we we should not be publicly telling people how we're giving. So... In the worksheet there, there's a question, how can you implement these instructions on generosity? What is it that you might begin to do, or what are you going to change in how you give, in order to give well? So the two things I wanted to talk about was how to give well, and secondly, I'd like to talk about now, 
is how you can live generously. And again, the instructions come from Paul. I must say this. Uh, if you want to go on a journey with God around living generously, and if you want to experience more of the blessing of God, I'm going to talk about that next week. Because remember the promise, Malachi chapter 3. If you bring the tithe into the storehouse, if you live in the way that I'm leading you to live generously, God says, test me. And will I open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you wouldn't be able to even contain it? That's the promise. We're going to talk about that next week. But if you want to live like this, then I'd encourage you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. They are both fantastic chapters. A call to being generous in how we live. A call in how to discipline ourselves to partner with God through the local church to see the mission of God work and fully accomplished. And Phil Brown spoke about that in the first message in the series a couple of weeks ago. So how do you live generously? I want to commit to you the entire passage of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And you'll see on your worksheet there, there's some instructions there. The first thing that you're to do is to prepare your gift. Let's look at verse 3. Paul says, I'm sending these brothers to be sure you're ready, as I've been telling them, that your money is all collected, because I don't want you to be wrong. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting. We'd be embarrassed not to mention your own embarrassment if some people came with me and found that you weren't ready to give after all I've told them. So I thought, Paul says, I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. So the first thing we've got to do is be prepared in how we live. We've got a plan. You know, one of the things I used to do many, many years ago was I used to teach budgeting. I used to teach financial seminars. I used to teach people how to get out of debt, how to be successful, how to live mortgage-free, how to build um, passive income. And it all required diligence. So if you're saying, I can't afford to give, or I can't afford to give more, then you need to rethink the patterns you've got for how you're living. How do you prepare your gift? God will show you. The second thing you can see on the, on, the, on the worksheet there is to pray with others to seek the Lord's leading. And the references there are 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 9. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. This is exciting to me when I read this because God, God is wanting to lead you in this. And if you're going to seek God's heart and say, God, how would you have me to partner with you? God says he will show you because he is loving it when you come. But, but, but do you know what the key is here? Firstly, you, you've got to have a desire to partner with God. And if you're willing, he's going to turn up. I can promise you that. It's certainly been my testimony. But look at this. God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8. God underwrites his promise to you. He's calling you to be generous. And he says this, God will generously provide all you need. And then you have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. 
If you put God first, he's going to take care of your needs. If you put God first, he's going to take care of what you want. If you put God first, he's going to provide for you. You won't have to worry about what you eat or drink for tomorrow. The Lord will take care of you. So pray with others. Ask God to lead you. God, would you reveal to me, how would you have me partner with you? And the final question you can see on your worksheet there is discerning whether money is bread or seed. This is an interesting thing, but let's have a look at verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. For God is the one. Oh my goodness, isn't this great? God is the one who provides. God is the one who provides. God is going to give you what you need to be generous, to live generously, to give well. God is going to be the one to provide you everything you need. That's a good word right there. Why would we rob God when he's the one that wants to give things to us? God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Come on, someone say amen to that. God is faithful to help you to give well and to live generously. But here's what I learned many years ago. Sometimes God gives you something and it's called a seed. Uh, Kathy and I had an experience recently where someone rang us. They said, we want to give you some money. And I was like, okay, well, we don't want to, we don't want to say no to that. But we also want to ask God why. So we asked God why. And he said, this is not for you. This is a seed for someone else. And so when you plant a seed, you get a harvest. And so we were quite excited because the money God gave us, we literally prayed together, Kathy and I. We felt God direct us to someone. We rang them up and we said, hey, we want to sow into your life. So that money that we were given wasn't for us to hold on to. It was a seed. Because uh, as much as uh, some people like to eat seed, I don't. I'd rather eat bread. And, and so there's a difference between seed and bread. And seed is something you're given to put in the ground so that it can produce a harvest of generosity. And God is also the one that provides the bread to eat. So if God's giving you a blessing, you need to ask him, is this seed for me to sow or is this bread for me to eat? The one thing you don't want to do is eat the seed. And the other thing you don't want to do is put the bread in the ground because you don't get no harvest from that. So learn to discern the difference. God, would you help us to give well? God, would you help us to live generously? God, would you teach us to relate to you so that we no longer rob you of what you deserve, what you desire, what you call upon? that we would be generous, that we would partner with you. God, teach us to live in covenant with you. Friends, I hope this has challenged you. I really do. I'm feeling challenged myself. I'm going to go home and, and have a few uh, conversations about how we're doing things. But most importantly, my heart for you is that you would come back to the scripture in Malachi 3 and say, God, I don't want to rob you. I don't want to cheat things and I don't want to live under a curse. And next time we get together, I'm going to help you understand Malachi 3 verse 10 and give an expectation that I see in Scripture that I think will change your world. So go well, and I look forward to catching up with you soon. God bless.